Screenless. Musician, composer, Adam Wakeman, welcome to Creative Cuppa. Well, thank you for having me. That's quite all right. So, jumping straight in, growing up in such a musical environment, was it inevitable that you were going to end up as a professional musician, composer, or what was childhood like for you? Well, it was kind of a bit of a um, a schizophrenic upbringing, really, because my my parents um, separated when I was about three, so I was brought up primarily with my mum and my stepdad, John, and... uh, and then sort of saw my dad at weekends when he wasn't on tour or I went to visit him when he was, um, you know, uh, wherever he was sort of playing. So it was kind of this very normal upbringing and then thrown into Wembley Arena, watching my dad perform with Yes or whoever, and then, you know, dressing rooms full of sweets and, and all the rest of it. And then you get back home at two o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning and uh, and have to get up for school in the morning and everything's sort of back to normal. So that side of things was, was quite weird. That was the same for my older brother, Oliver, as well. And then uh, as we got older, um, I actually moved to the Isle of Man where my dad was living and that was really where I became more um, more aware of the sort of musician side of my dad, really, because he was he, he worked 20 hours a day. He really was a very... Um, I'm talking about him like he's dead. He's not dead. He's just taking it a bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> but he was very... You know, I, I, growing up, it was always kind of... He was always off doing this thing or you'd see him on TV or... Um, and then when you see him, when you get together, it was kind of a bit, it was a bit more kind of, you know, like your dad sort of thing. So it wasn't, it wasn't quite like um, he was around all the time uh, as a rock star. He was kind of, you know, he was sort of the weekend rock star, if you like, for us, because that was when we saw him. But then when, when I moved to the Isle of Man, that was where I was, I was far more interested in, in, in being a musician and, and we got to work together. And that was, that was definitely a kind of, um, you know, it's a bit more all-encompassing. We did, we started recording albums together and then touring together. Oh, that's fantastic. So he really was instrumental in getting you kind of used to that environment, I suppose. Yeah, very much so. I mean, one of the things I remember going to see him for a weekend, and um, this makes him sound really terrible, but it's, it had, there is a bit of uh, there is a, a moral to this story. He, I wanted to learn the start of one of his pieces called Catherine Howard. It's a very kind of nice sort of piano ballad from the um, album Six Wives of Henry VIII. I was about 10 years old and I went uh, into his office and his office, he had a grand piano in there and all the just CDs and books and stuff piled up everywhere, kind of real hoarder's paradise. Uh, and I sort of made my way through and I said, Dad, can you teach him the start of Catherine Howard? And he passed me a cassette of the album and he said, go and listen to it and then learn it. And I walked away thinking, what, you know, I just want my my dad to sit down and help me with a piece, you know. But what he ultimately did was, inadvertently probably, was start off the kind of development of your your sort of musical ear, as as you know well. It's like, Mm. unless you you listen to a lot of things and work things out for yourselves, uh, it it doesn't, um, you know, it it comes quicker once you've had that kind of experience. So that was definitely one of the most important things that he, um, he taught me inadvertently. You have to put the time in, don't you? There's no shortcuts for, for that kind of thing. Not at all. No, there isn't. And there's no, it's just like, you know, professional sportsmen and women. It's that you can't suddenly be 
you know mm. a, w- a winning marathon runner it's like it takes a long time to to get mm. to those stages you can't just get through a joe wicks workout <laughs> you have to work up to it <laughs> it's, I'm fine. it's definitely i'd say it feels like he's my lodger at the minute <laughs> every morning the kids are, you know we've got that on the kids are kind of i think they're slightly losing interest now but they've, they've been good for five weeks yeah and of course later on uh you've toured with your dad quite extensively haven't you yeah we started um when i left school i went off and and we uh we toured for about two months together when I was 18 and we did an album and and that led on to doing another album and another tour and yeah we toured together for for pretty much sort of 10 years every year around around the UK around Europe around the world it was it was brilliant it was probably the best apprenticeship um Mm. you know sort of course you could have and he always treated me like a member of the band which was which was good there was no kind of preferential treatment or uh although he probably says that he just hired me because I was cheaper (laughs) Well, um, so you've played with some of the biggest names in music. I mean, there's a, a very long list there. What was it like walking into your first, profe- I mean, your dad aside, what was it like walking into your first professional session or, you know, walking out on stage for your first professional gig? Well, the first the first professional gig was terrifying. That was actually with my dad. That was the first gig, Scunthorpe Baths. I remember it well. And I was absolutely terrified. And my dad is not one for rehearsals. He's kind of, you know, he's kind of, one day, that'd be fine, off we go. And then you, you start the tour. And it was, um, I was very, very nervous. And my dad's drummer um, at the time thought it'd be really funny to tell me about 10 minutes before we went on that my dad had changed the set list. And I just had that feeling in my stomach of why am I doing this? I hate this. <laughs> and then, and then you get through the first gig, and uh, and everything sort of starts to become a bit easier. Um, outside of my dad, I mean, I then started doing. I put off a lot of sessions because I didn't feel comfortable when I was uh, when I was younger. And it was only really when I needed to earn some money that I put my kind of. Um, my kind of issues behind me with that side of things. I never felt comfortable doing a lot of pop sessions because I just I felt it wasn't it wasn't my bag. Um, mm. Whereas once I needed some money and I needed to earn some uh, earn some session money, I I sort of put myself forward for more of them and um, realised that actually they're not so bad, you know. And then the more you, you know, what it's like, the more you kind of do, the more comfortable you get. Did you find you enjoyed that style of music after taking part in it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's the that's the key, isn't it? Is the more different styles you do, the more you kind of seem to get comfortable doing it and and learn r- learn your boundaries really. Mm. So. As well as touring extensively with your dad, Rick, and Ozzy Osbourne's band over the years, actually, you've toured more recently with Black Sabbath, including their farewell tour. I did, yeah. That's uh, you can see the tears rolling down my my face there. The last, the farewell tour. <laughs> it was very, very, uh, a very emotional um, end to end to a you know what a legacy they've left behind. It's amazing. Yeah. I was very lucky. I was actually asked to do Ozzy first in two thousand three, and. At the last minute, the tour changed from being an Aussie tour to a Black Sabbath tour. I mean, literally within two or three weeks, they changed it. I seem to remember that. And it was a straight, it was an Ozfest tour out in America. And so that I kind of became their keyboard player by default, really. When that all kind of happened, it changed at such a last minute. I was already booked to do it. So, yeah, since 2003, I've sort of jumped between the two. So whenever Ozzy's done Sabbath, I've been lucky enough to be dragged along and uh, and to do that. And the farewell tour was, was great. It was a great experience. Oh, wow. What a night to be involved in that very last night. Yeah, it was quite a strange. I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day where it was quite a strange feeling because there was a film crew that was following following the guys around for the last kind of two, three weeks of the tour. 
and they also had they were filming some extras for the dvd that, that, that they were filming for the end about a week afterwards so even though that was the last show the guys were all going to get together a few days later anyway so it, it was kind of a bit weird for them kind of it was the last performance but not the last time they were going to you know see each well, other well I'd, I'd hope not yeah no I think that's the, I mean it is a it is an amazing relationship when you see I feel very privileged to have been a part of it where you kind of see such a lot of of history I mean one just to pinch myself for one of these childhood sort of dream moments was um, I was chatting to the tour manager this was actually on a I think a 2007 tour or something I was uh, chatting to the tour manager and he said so what, who are your favorite guitarists and and I said well it's probably it's got with Jimmy Page and, and obviously Tony Iommi you know and uh, and he said oh yeah I was just just wondering and we got on a plane to go to Holland I think to do a festival and the tour manager just told me where to sit on the plane. He said, oh, you sit there um, next to Tony. And because there were lots of other people getting on the plane. It's one of these, it's kind of a crazy world where you get kind of, you know, they fly around on private jets everywhere. And then, you know, I get home and empty the dishwasher and pick up the dog turds in the garden. It's kind of this really <laughs> weird kind of parallel universe. But I, so I'm very happy to be dragged along as part of it. And opposite me sat Jimmy Page. And oh. Jimmy Page had just come along for the ride to spend some time with Tony and and I just remember sat there with such a grin on my face, just thinking this is such a childhood dream to sort of chat to, you know, Jimmy Page and Tony Iommi and, and listen to the two of them chat as well. It's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that must have been amazing. I saw your jazzy jazzumentary. I, I don't know what you'd call it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Jazzumentary uh, about the jazz forerunner to Black Sabbath. Not a lot of people will will know this story about the the legend that is Milton Keynes. That's right, Milton Keynes. He was yeah. uh, he was basically a victim of of terrible plagiarism by a band known as Black Sabbath. And Milton uh, unfortunately had a heart attack back in 1970. And the album that he'd recorded was shelved. The record company uh, went out of business. The pressing plant burnt down. It's a tragic, tragic story. <laughs> Um, as anybody that's seen the documentary will have um, will have seen, and uh, and finally Milton is back. Milton is back. They found copies of the original album, and the album is released. And it's it's songs that most people would have maybe been familiar with by the um, the thieving uh, Black Sabbath. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> How dare they indeed? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was wondering uh, what might have come first, the jazz musician or the town, because it's it's quite a a modern town, isn't it? That's right. You know, I, I hadn't thought. I've been named after him. Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I can see the follow-up now. Thanks for that. But actually, yeah, I'd, I'd watched the video, which was fabulously funny, but also listened to some of the, the music that you, you posted online, which is really good. Some really good jazz there. I think the the, the difficulty with it, that and, I, and it, took, it took four or five years, believe it or not, to get this to fruition, because originally I had the idea of... Um, of of playing jazz versions where i mean it's been you know it's been done people who do jazz versions or dixie versions or of, of famous bands i was actually with black sabbath in berlin and i'd been out for a drink with one of the guys that works with um with ozzy and they'd uh all the guys that you know tony and um and ozzy and geezer had gone to bed um and i just sat in the bar just to entertain myself it was empty and there was a piano and I just got a glass of wine and started playing sort of jazz interpretations of Sabbath songs just purely <laughs> to amuse myself and it just started from there and I was thinking this this could be really funny and then I thought what about if, if there was a character who 
claims, you know, this disillusioned old man who thinks that he wrote all the songs. Um, and it kind of went from there. And then I had to kind of script it all out, obviously, for the documentary, get some other people on board to um, to help me. Uh, and that was that was it, really. The, the kind of documentary, I was almost frightened of recording the album in case it was rubbish. <laughs> but I was really keen to do the documentary because I've never really done any acting and I thought it'd be really funny. Oh, it's really well put together. <laughs> but I'll put a I'll put a link in the show notes for the Jazz Sabbath. But speaking of which, where can people find you online? Well, adamwakeman.co.uk is all my sort of uh, stuff. There's links on there to Jazz Sabbath. Jazz Sabbath is uh, jazzsabbath.net, and the same on the on Twitter and all that stuff. So Wakeman official, I think, is on uh, uh, on the Twitter, and uh, jazzsabbath net has everything else uh, Jazz Sabbath related. Great stuff. Well, Adam Wakeman, thank you very much for joining me for a creative cuppa. It's been fantastic. It's absolutely my pleasure. Mm-hmm.